Well, we're going to continue our series on knowing the times. Last week we uh, talked about a time of war and a time of peace, warring a good warfare and a time for embracing and refraining from embracing. But I wanted to look at another one this week, and this one is in Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 2. And it's interesting how Pastor Jason was closing in prayer. So I want to speak on a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. And so there's a season, and I think this one kind of makes the most sense to us in relation to seasons, right? I mean, there's a season to plant crops and flowers, and then there's a season where they bring forth life. Um, there's also a season to remove what's there as well. And, and so we kind of really see this illustrated so much in that thought of planting, of farming, and, you know, really, it's a science in, in one respect, right? Farmers know definitely down to the week, but sometimes they know down to the day of, where, you know, looking at the projections and when it's going to grow and the, and the time and the, the weather and so forth, you know, and so the best time to plant, then they hope for good weather and some rain, but not too much rain and, uh, you know, and so they do everything necessary. They plow the field, they plant the seed, put down fertilizer and water or irrigate, and they hope for a good crop. There's a lot of hope in it in farming. But I, I think it's pretty clear, right, that illustration, because Jesus himself used it, right? We can all think of, of someone trying to plant a seed. So they, you know, put that little seed and press it down into the earth and kind of cover it over, maybe pour a little water on it. And, you know, that little seed sprouts. And, and so it's, I think it's still one of the most miraculous things of God's creation, right? Of life sprouting from something that's just hard and it looks dead to me. You look at seeds, there's nothing that looks lively, but yet when you compare it to what, springs forth that's just amazing but in the respect of believers what is it that is to be planted and to grow really it's those seeds of faith that god wants to plant in our heart that they bring forth something spiritual something fruitful in the kingdom of god and we know that faith comes by hearing a word from god that's in Romans 10. But I think Jesus said it best when he was replying to the, the tempter in the wilderness. He said this in Matthew 4 and verse 4. It's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And of course, in the Greek, it's, it's the, the rhema word, the divine word. It, you know, one commentator or, or one dictionary said it's, it's the it's the word uttered by the living voice from heaven. That's the word we want planted in our hearts. The word uttered by the living voice from heaven. And so that is how the real planting and life is deposited into the soil of our heart. And, you know, we can read the Logos and the written word, but we want to pray in that, Lord, speak your word from heaven, words of life because that is what will bring forth life within us. That's how we receive and walk in the ways of life and wisdom. And, you know, but 
we also have to consider this thought of plucking up, right? What has been planted or what is there. And, you know, sometimes things become planted, whether intentionally or unintentionally, and then you want to plant something else. Something has to be plucked up and removed. You know, sometimes it can be a big mess when you're trying to think of, oh, I gotta, I want to plant something there, but there's some stuff in the way. Remember when we bought our house several years ago? A lot of years now, it seems like. But I can still remember going into the backyard and being like, oh, wow. Because the previous owner had, had planted, you could tell he planted it with purpose. You know, all of these different things in, in a really big bed, you know, of all this variety of things. Uh, the pr and you could tell he took pride in it. The problem was, is he hadn't tended to it in several years. And it was so overgrown, you could barely tell what, you could kind of see like, oh, what that originally was, but yet what it had come, turned into was a big mess. Now, the previous owner had gotten ill and couldn't care for it anymore, and then eventually passed away, and we purchased the house afterwards. But I remember going back there and thinking, oh my, this is going to be a lot of work. And it was. You know, there were bushes that had almost become small trees and, you know, things to, to tear out. And I had to dig in and cut roots and rip out. I had to get, I had to get a pickaxe to get some stuff out to just like get a lever, lever to pull it out. And, but, you know, we had to do that before we could start fresh to plant new things. And, you know, of course, for the Christian life, when it comes to planting, there's nothing more iconic than the parable that Jesus said in Matthew 13, right? the parable of the sower. And he talks about the condition of the soils uh, to, in order to receive his word and have a seed bearing forth spiritual fruit and life. One ground was too hard. It just bounced off. You know, another ground was full of stones that, so that the soil was shallow. And we, we won't consider that now. We'll look at that at the comparison of the stones that are removed and the stones built, used to build. But the one we're concerned with is the, it's the ground that was actually very fertile and receptive to the seeds of faith. The problem was other seeds got planted there too, right? Uh, and it had disastrous consequences. And Jesus gave us the interpretation, Matthew 13, 22. It says, now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. And so one reason why we might need to pluck up what's planted is because the wrong seeds have gotten in there. And, you know, seeds, in, as Jesus was bringing out here, seeds of the cares of this world, right? The natural things uh, of worry, of fear, you know, you could probably add to that list of the, of the things that can come upon us that can affect our spiritual fruit. Or seeds of deceit. Right? Another one here, another, you could say, almost say a category. Right? And Jesus gives an, exa an example of this category, the deceitfulness of riches, right? of obtaining things in this life. But I think you could kind of put a lot more in that category of, of other natural things that can get our focus and take our time and our energy, natural ways, and so forth. You're right, it, basically it's 
things that keep us from focusing on faith, on building up faith, on, you know, feeding upon and connecting with heaven and uh, meditating, growing, increasing in the spiritual realm. You know, other things can grow up in our heart and begin to choke out the work of faith in us. Now, another reason why we might need to pluck up is, is that what's, what's there, maybe whether it's good or not, it's just become too overgrown, like we experienced in our, you know, our garden in the back of our yard. Right? Sometimes even what is good can become a problem because it hasn't been maintained and it's become overbalanced, grown out of proportion. And, you know, we've been come too focused on one area and it's just become so large and what God wants to do has become too small. And so that some things have to be cut back or even it's just needs to be removed and God has to start over again, planting his seeds of faith. But Jeremiah, you know, God spoke through the prophet and described his ministry in giving the word of the Lord in Jeremiah 1.10 he said, see, I've set this day, I have set you over the nations and over kingdoms to root out, pull down, destroy, throw down, and then to build and to plant. I don't know about you, but sometimes the cleaning out seems like more work than the, than the building up. And, and in here, he uses one, two, three, four, four descriptions of actions and only, you know, of removing and only two of building and planting. But the Lord had called Jeremiah to be a builder. But before he could do that, he had to tear down and remove. He did that through proclaiming the prophetic word of the Lord. And God, sometimes he'll speak to us uh, wonderful things he wants to do, promises, vision of an inheritance. And we say, yes, Lord, bring it, do it. But often we're surprised, very surprised, when the next step we feel is just rooting out, <laughs> destruction, chaos, you know, upheaval, turmoil. But yet there is a need to recognize the hand of God at work in that season. Sometimes we might think, well, I, this is a disaster. I must have done something to deserve this, and I guess that's it. Game over. But if we will allow God to come into the garden of our hearts and the circumstances of our lives and begin to set things in order, can find that God was even in the rooting out and the pulling down and the removing and the, the discipline and the correction and, you know, his words piercing our hearts and so forth. You might need to, to adjust a few things. You might need to adjust a lot of things. But at the end of the day, God is there to plant and to do a work in our lives. And really what God is doing is it's the preparation for a work of beauty, for a work of beauty. I love what the Lord spoke through another prophet, Isaiah. 
when he prophesied of giving his Holy Spirit and the anointing to do this work that we're talking about, the work of the Lord. But a verse describes this, Isaiah 61, verse 3. The work of the Spirit is to console those who mourn in Zion and to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called the trees of righteousness and the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And so in the process of becoming the planting of the Lord, uh, there's a lot of things described here, right? We think the planting of the Lord is glorious, but before that, uh, there's ashes, there's mourning, there's heaviness, all that we might become is planting, become fruitful. But, you know, I really think it's really talking about that process of removal, of the plucking up, of the cleaning of the land and clearing. But sometimes we get overwhelmed by that process. You know, we can think, Lord, you've, you've given me promises and all I have are ashes. But I was considering that, you know, ashes. And it, it, it's not like God, you know, sometimes we can think in our mind, like, well, God's just coming with a flamethrower and just, you know, sometimes you, that's what you want to do. That's a quick work in clearing out land, just set it all on fire and burn it. And, uh, but that's really not an accurate picture of what God is doing when it comes to ashes. Because if, you're, if you consider where are ashes found in the tabernacle, it's on the altar. You know, true beauty is found in God's kingdom when we're willing to lay our all and we're willing to expose our heart and then allow God to, to deal with things. And when, when he deals with something, it's us saying, okay, God, putting it on the altar. And very often that's consumed. And what we're left with is ashes. And we could say, well, there was that thing I gave to God, and it's just ashes. But we do that because it's a part of the work of beauty. And he gives us an exchange. Beauty for ashes. It's a good exchange. And it's worth it. Because what he is taking from us is not beautiful. He's taking from us the ugliness and the things that need to be removed and are overbalanced and overgrown. Sometimes there's wood hay and stubble that need to be put on the altar and consumed within us. But what is left is beautiful. And there's many types of things that this can speak of, but there's one I was really feeling kind of throughout this message that I, I feel is important to put on the altar. And that, that is human wisdom and natural thinking. All right. If, I really feel that if we're going to make it now and in the days to come, we have to learn to walk according to these seeds of faith. You know, our human wisdom, our natural thinking is the enemy of the seeds of faith. And these, these things must be put on the altar so that we're not walking according to our own wisdom, but we're, but we're learning to hear 
and recognize the still small voice of the Lord. And, and even recognize when we're walking in a way that's not according to faith. You know, of course, Scripture says whatever is not of faith is sin, right? And so that's where we have to, to walk in the fear of the Lord and recognize, well, I'm making a decision here. But is it the seed of faith I'm following? Sometimes it's, you know, it's not an, an issue, but there are consequential times when we must say, no, I must walk according to faith. And I have to cry out. I have to hear from God. Or I need to, to not step until I have the faith planted into my heart. Then I can go. And so those things have to be put on the altar because that is the way that we can walk. And that we'll have sight through that heavenly mechanism of him planting those words in us. And it allows the beauty of the Lord to be seen in us so that we can become his planting. In the last few minutes here, let's look at one more. And this is the very next one. It's in verse 3. There's a time to kill and a time to heal. You know, and so... We recognize in the natural, right, that there are times when God allows death. And, you know, we all come to the point in this life when, you know, our time on here will, will end. We close our eyes in this life. We open them in eternity. That's how I like to think about it. <laughs> I don't like to think of how we close our eyes, but, you know, we're going to close our eyes eventually. But I look forward to the day we open them in eternity and we see Truly, the, those dark glasses are taken away and we're, we're given eyes to see. But yet there's that thought, you know, we have to experience death. But yet there's, there's an aspect that it's almost more important. You know, yes, we're going to experience death at the end of our lives. But I think what God is speaking to us, you know, in that thought is walking in the way Christ walked. And how did he walk? He was obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. And so he is that, the greatest example for us that he died on the cross. But yet, as he experienced that death, he also experienced the greatest victory. Because he obtained the keys of hell and of death, and that allowed him to display resurrection power. So there's a pathway that can lead unto death, but the end of the matter is resurrection power. And that is, that's true if we've made Christ our Lord and Savior and we've been grafted in and we're continually receiving his life. But you know, I think we can also understand that there is a depth to the Christian life that we can achieve as we follow the Lamb as a disciple as we learn of Christ and become like him, right? The, you know, the more we walk with Christ, the more we learn of him and experience his ways and follow him as a disciple. And of course, there's certain things we're going to face as disciples. And Jesus summarized it really in, in Luke 14, 27. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And so... It's not that cannot be a Christian, but there's a, there's a cost to being a disciple. 
And what is the cost, right? That's the paradox of the Christian life. Those who want to go in the pathway of spiritual life have to pick up a symbol of death. You know, we considered that previously in the thought of the seed. And what has to happen to a seed when you, when you push it down into the earth? Uh, Jesus described it this way. John 12, 24. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat, except that seed go into the ground and die, it's, it's just going to abide alone, meaning it's just going to be a seed forever. You know, they... They even, I thought it was interesting that in some of the, the tombs in Egypt, in some of the tombs of the ancient pharaohs, they found seed. You know? And you know what it was? After 3,000, 3,500 years, it was still a seed. <laughs> Nothing had happened to it. It didn't die. It wasn't put into the ground and die, as Jesus is describing it this way. But if it does it brings forth much fruit. And so there's certain aspects of life that are a mystery, and one is that seed being put into the ground which is, and being buried, which is a symbol of death. But instead of death, it's resurrection power. New life springs forth. And, and it's a symbol of how God can work in our lives and in His kingdom. And so, you know, what we're learning here in Ecclesiastes is there's seasons that we experience what feels like death or the lack of life, you could, you could say. Or maybe we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. It could be a sickness that takes us close to the edge. You know, what we're feeling is a shadow over us. Or it could be like Job, a severe trial where God's doing a deep work and maybe doing you know, he, he, I really feel like he combines trials to accomplish multiple things. Maybe he's doing a major pruning or ripping out, and it just feels like he's bringing you to the brink. A very deep test, like with Job. You know, I, I'd love to see a rerun of that conversation in heaven where, where God is on his throne, and he, I don't know if he says, Satan, come here. I want to talk to you. Have you seen my servant Job? most righteous man on the earth. And Satan, of course, he doesn't want to let that stand. So he said, just let me go down deep and test him to the core. I'm paraphrasing. And God said, okay. And he, he, you know, he knew exactly what he's doing. He knew, Satan, I'm going to use you as a tool to do an even deeper work. But Job literally passed through the valley of the shadow of death you know, and losing his family and his body being afflicted and losing everything. I mean, it was his life was torn to shreds. But God was getting at things in his heart that really couldn't be got at without that level, without that valley of the shadow of death experience. But when it was done, it was like, you know, when he prayed for his friends and it kind of ended his trial. It was like explosive, explosive growth. You know, I don't know if it was overnight or it, how long it took, but can you imagine someone going from zero, having lost everything and with nothing left, to what it what it describes in Job forty two twelve, 
It says he went from nothing to 14,000 sheep, 600 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys, and then he had sons and daughters. You know, we talk about the, the double portion. It actually doesn't mention it in Job until you compare 42.12 with chapter 1, and it is literally double of everything he had before God gave him the double. But the double came from zero <laughs> to the double. And so, you know, if we're seeking to be his disciple, there are times when God will take us. Maybe we'll experience the valley of the shadow of death or maybe death to, to his promises where it just seems like the opposite is happening. But there's a season of death, but there's also a season of life. And I love how it's described here. It's a season of healing, right? Because death is, you know, an extreme affliction, so to speak, but yet it's a season of being made whole. Hosea 6 and verse 1, it says, Come, let us return unto the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal. He has smitten, but he will bind us up. There's always a season of life. In fact, that's really the purpose of all seasons is to bring forth life and healing if we'll come to him and receive those words of faith. It's not always easy. And I will close with one last thought on this, you know, from Ezekiel. Ezekiel can be a challenging book. It's full of judgments against the nations and against those who are not following God, even in in the people of, of God in Israel. But near the end of his book, we're presented with a picture. And the prophet is taken to a valley. And in that valley, it's just full of dry bones. And what a picture to be taken. Lord, this is depressing. A valley of dry bones. Maybe that's how he felt. But Ezekiel, and, or the Lord said, Ezekiel 37, verse 3, the Lord was speaking to Ezekiel. says, He said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord, O Lord God, you know. Verse 4, again he said unto me, Prophesy to these bones, say unto them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And so we're again, we're here again is that the power of the prophetic, the rhema word to produce life. You know, so there is a season where God comes to us and he says, can these bones live? Can I bring life? And, you know, or he might say, can my promises be fulfilled in your life, in, in the church? Now, Ezekiel's response is very dip diplomatic. Lord, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, there's a truth in that because God can speak a promise but we, we don't know the time and the interpretation of that promise. So that it's not bad, you know, it wasn't a response of a lack of faith, but it's just like, Lord, only you can fulfill this. But yet it was the time. It was the season. You know, and the, a key to believing and, and walking in faith is when it is the time and it is the season we have to speak, we have to profess, we have to proclaim according to the word of the Lord. And when Ezekiel did that, 
And all he did was talk. He just spoke. He prophesied to those bones, but he was speaking a rainbow word that he had received from heaven. And when he spoke, those bones, it said it connected bone to bone. And then the sinews came. The muscles started to form. And then they were covered with flesh. And then God said, prophesy again. And they were filled with a breath of life. And it says they became alive, they stood on their feet, and they were a mighty army. I love that that picture. It wasn't just to bring blessing and a feel-good time. It was to create a mighty army. Now, I realize that the season that is most evident to us today is like the dry bones. You know, when we look around, we're not seeing God breathing life and proclaiming, you know, dry bones becoming flesh. But we recognize the season that we're in as a people of God, as a church, you know, even in our lives. But there is coming a change of season when God is going to speak his word, his prophetic rhema. And he might say, prophesy to this situation. And let it live. Bring life. Because God is coming for a mighty army. And he's not coming for dry bones. He's coming for a mighty army. He's going to proclaim life. He'll do it in his church first. And then he's going to do it in the nations. And so the process that we're seeing in these two contrasts is that there's a time to plant and there's a time to pluck up what is planted. There's a clearing and a cleansing that has to take place, but it's a work of preparation in the soil of our hearts so that we can receive his words of faith and bear much fruit. There may be seasons of the valley of the shadow of death, of dry bones, but it's so a divine work can be accomplished through that seed of faith. Really, it's the seed of faith dying and then bringing forth life through his resurrection power. And as we take up our cross and follow him, those wonderful seeds will spring forth to what? So that we become trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Lord, we, Lord, just look to you. We set our heart and our Lord, our, our desire upon you. Lord, we, we long to be and to be shaped and formed into those trees of righteousness. Oh God, would you do that, that wonderful work? Lord, we just invite you to come again. And Lord, as we are so often doing in, in this series, Lord, of Lord, allowing you to come into our hearts and work. And Lord, we just pray, Lord, would you come in and cleanse? Lord, if there's weeds that need to be pulled out, Lord, or if there's beds that need to be cleared, oh God, just come and have your way. Do your work in us, Lord. Remove those things that would hinder the life that would come through your seed of faith. Lord, we just trust in you. Oh God, we're just, Lord, cry out for grace to pick up our cross each day. Lord, and allow that work to be done. But Lord, most of all, make us people 
Oh, who will trust in you in your season that you're leading us through. Because Lord, we know there's coming a season. Lord, when you will give us faith to believe for mighty things and that you'll, Lord, tell us to prophesy life where there's death. Oh Lord, make us a people of faith. Lord, that we can become the planting of the Lord. Oh, that you would be glorified in us and through us we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.